0: Restoring Darkness is brought to you by Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies.
1: Welcome back to the Restoring Darkness show. On today's show, I have Dan Jobbins. He is a lighting designer based out of New York's beautiful Hudson Valley. He graduated from Boston's Boston University's College of Fine Arts with a BFA in theatrical lighting design. He has had a 15 year Year career designing lighting for theaters up and down the East Coast, as well as for high-profile events in the New York metropolitan area. During the pandemic and resulting shutdowns of arts and entertainment venues, Dan pivoted towards landscape lighting, securing a position with one of the oldest landscape lighting companies in the Northeast. He later struck out on his own to form Hudson Valley Holidays, which started as a holiday lighting company, but has grown to include all manner of outdoor and landscape lighting design. Dan takes pride in placing the highest emphasis on quality design and services within the Hudson Valley holidays, a big part of which is striving for dark sky compliance. Dan, welcome to the Restoring Darkness podcast.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: You know, it's interesting. um, I personally, I really love Christmas lights and holiday lights and celebrations and stuff like that, and You know one of the things i often say is you know we can probably have our cake and eat it too with this um you know when it comes to night preservation just by using simple timers and devices and controls to to shut things off when we're not celebrating um i don't know if that's a good introduction to this dan but you know what's your take on all of that
0: no i think you're definitely right i mean you know in my world of you know low voltage landscape lighting all day lighting you know the the big tenants you know the of light pollution in terms of dealing with sky glow and something we concern ourselves with overly. Um, you know, Most of our fixtures in the landscape lighting world are five, maybe seven watts um, you know, versus street lighting or commercial parking lots or anything like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then similarly
0: in the uh, holiday lighting world, really nothing's that bright that it's the, I would think a major concern to the ecosystem. Um, of course, we try to limit things with timers Um, Both from the electrical consumption standpoint, the longevity of the product, and then also being cognizant of dark skies. Um, You know, for me, the bigger thing that I think about when I'm approaching a project uh, as it pertains to, you know, darkness restoration or night sky preservation, uh, it's more about all the other aspects of light pollution, right? It's about eliminating glare. It's about, you know, they talk about the visual clutter, making sure that you don't have a bunch of spots all over the place
1: mm. which
0: becomes a thing potentially within holiday lighting um mm-hmm. but there it's, it's small pinpoints of light right are at your line with you know little c9 or c7 bulbs tiny, um you know and they're only up for a month max. you know mm-hmm. maybe a month and a half depending on when we get around to our takedown that season um so it really becomes less about like i said less about sky glow or anything like impacting wildlife more about impacting the other humans in- Shining a light that looks beautiful on your tree, but shines directly
1: into the of Hmm. Well, you know it, it's interesting because there's been a, um, a sort of progression with uh, humans and outdoor light at night. And you know, uh, if you if you go back to the um, the uh, Eiffel Tower, say in France, I don't know if you've ever been on the Seine River and, and floated by it at nighttime, and you see it; it's very beautiful. So I think what, what's what's happening is light is transition, outdoor light at night or electric light at night is transitioning from being assumed to be beautiful and create safety to starting to take on this reputation as being a touch ostentatious and then maybe mm. conspicuous. And I think we're on the path um, to, you know, conspicuous outdoor lighting becoming grotesque, actually. Um Absolutely. Oh you know, I, when you look at the world trade center, the, the, um, when you go there, they only turn the lights on very rarely now. Cause they had so many dead birds, um, mm-hmm. thousands, millions of dead birds. And you you think the same thing about the, um, what's that one in, in Las Vegas, the, that's shaped like the pyramid with the light shoot Luxor, you know, it, yeah. there's something, there's something grotesque about whether it, I don't care if it's human death or animal death, there's something grotesque about that much of an impact for what, you know what I'm saying? um yes. and i th- i think we're on the path to that is you know this type of lighting where you have landscape lighting on a big home and that sort of stuff um are your customers asking you to have controls or are you are you having to sell that to them
0: um no i mean everyone wants controls uh i'll generally talk people away from the sort of photo cell on for you know on when it gets dark often it gets bright um and push people towards timers or smart controls. Um, personally, from my own experience, I've been moving away from the smart controls to be honest, more towards just dumb timers. Um, I find that the headaches of once now that there are more and more network devices in a home, adding no, new layers of it is just complicated. <laughs> really, it comes from my own experience. We recently had to replace our Wi-Fi router, and it was a nightmare going through my you know, my landscape lights. My Roku, my all my like, internet of things I had to reset. And ultimately, people aren't adjusting the ons and offs that often over the course of a year, right? So you can set it at come on at whatever, 8 p.m., go off at 11 p.m. Mm. on the timer. And that's really it, right? I would say that all of my clients who have smart controls, I doubt any of them have ever changed the timing settings from the first time. We it.
1: Yeah, the, Im- it the importance of uh, digital accessibility to lighting to the person that sits under the light is vastly overestimated by the controls community. Um, people do not want to have alerts on their phone from their lighting system. Okay, they. Yeah. If you give someone control, they, they usually set it and forget it, and that's the end of it. Um, I agree with you. I think one of the greatest inventions we have for this space, for outdoor lighting, I don't know if it, it's not so good for landscape, but just for outdoor lighting, and I have them at my house, is a intermatic timer where you push the button. It's 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour or two hours. And mm-hmm. you just push the button and it it goes to 15 minutes. You push it twice. It goes to 30 minutes. You push it three times. It goes to an hour. You push it four times. It goes to two hours. You push it again. It goes off. That is such a simple, because I tried actually occupancy sensors on the outdoor of my house, mm-hmm. but they're being tripped all the time by all sorts of different things. So I just switched to that. And, yeah. um, I find it's it's way more effective and generally along the lines of what people want a switch
0: yeah yeah i mean a lot of times people think they want smart controls because that's the selling point for everything and as soon as you talk them through it you know they're more than happy and if they really want it i mean i'm happy to sell them a wi-fi control transform. like it's you no know, skin off my back <laughs> honestly as a contractor it's more money in my pocket but once they never make full use of it so for me it's not dollars that are um, you know, so it's, yeah, keeping it dumb is easier. People think they want more than they do. Same thing, honestly, with a lot of the color changing stuff. People ask me about color changing and you talk through like, well, when are you going to use it? Well, you know, maybe if, you know, the Giants win the Super Bowl, we'll change the Giants colors. Well, <laughs> regardless of your opinions on the Giants, but like, are you really going to do that? Like, are you really going to walk around with your phone and reprogram your lights? Like, again, if it's something that people are interested in, you know, it's a service that we provide, but it's, Is not something as much demand as, as long as even the industry seems to think there is.
1: I I think also the fussiness of controls, even for people that configure controls, so controls integrators or people that are experienced with it, they they struggle with the commissioning of these digital control systems. Don't kid yourself. And so to expect a person to um, download an app on their phone, and the other thing too is like, is the app even accessible with the, I mean, you have Bluetooth problems with older cars with the new phone, mm-hmm. you no know, never mind a lighting system, which is supposed to have a twenty five year lifetime. You know, are you really going to be using a Samsung Galaxy in twenty thirty five? I mean, that's gonna address yeah. this the system. And they, are they gonna send you updates or I, I don't know, man. It just doesn't seem like something that's very wise
0: to me. Um Yeah and then you the know course. it comes down to the uh what is it the the good, fast and cheap, or in this case, you know, good, easy and cheap option, right? You can only pick two. Most mm-hmm. people are gonna pick cheap. So you're going to have, to have it good, you can have it easy, but, you know, it's it's hard to get to something that's not going to blow people's budgets, right? I'm not putting in a full DMX control system into somebody's landscape lighting. Uh, and, you know, when we're looking at stuff that's, you know, lighting manufacturer that turns out a Bluetooth app to go with it, look how good is it? It's difficult to pair. Once it's paired, it's difficult to attach to the lights. But to go back to what you're saying about uh, the sort of shift towards ostentatiousness in landscape lighting, um, that's something that I also am, am very sensitive to. Um, I think that there's a lot of situations people confuse, um, impressive lighting with good lighting, right? Mm. Like you can put a hundred lights out in somebody's yard and you walk by or you drive by and like, wow. And then you realize that really what you're responding to is not the quality of the design, but just like the sheer amount of light that they've pumped into their garden. Um, you know, and, and the thing, you know, for, for one thing it, and what I talk my customers through is, uh, it, it goes, if you go too far, it goes down this road of looking like a commercial business, right? It looks like a hotel, it looks like a, you know, a bed and breakfast when really it doesn't look like a home, right? Every tree has a light on it. Every plant has a light on it. There's, you know, every aspect of the architecture is uplit as bright as it can be. Like, and people don't want that. You know, people want their homes to feel homey, even the people who live in big mansions, you know, still want them to feel warm and intimate and, and attractive to them personally when they come up. Um, you know, so it's, you, you need the darkness, right? You can't just pump light into an area and call it good lighting, right? you need, uh, and that ties into darkness restoration is you need it not just for the ecosystem and the environment, but you need it to actually create good design, right? You need to have elements of the yard that are darkness, that are in darkness you have like texture and levels and, and different levels of intensity right you can't just pump everything full of light and light everything and expect it to look good it'll look impressive and probably the first time you turn it on the homeowner will say wow i love it it's looks incredible and maybe their friend more over the same same thing but it doesn't mean that it's actually good design it just means that it's a lot of lights that are now you know in-
1: It's the Eiffel Tower. I don't care what, I don't care, you know, I I don't think that's ever going to, that memory of seeing the Eiffel Tower on a a Seine River cruise was spectacular. I don't think I'm ever going to lose that. But, um, you know, there's something about light pollution that people don't take seriously. So, um, you know, people, if somebody was uh, dumping their raw sewage into the the wastewater drain, they would certainly hide that from others, right? But people seem to... Mm -hmm produce light pollution and you know they have no they feel no way about it they think it's fantastic that's changing but how do we Mm can you know when you do you talk to people when you're selling them hey you know that what we're doing here with landscape lighting is we're creating light pollution and so um in order and it says here striving for dark sky compliance landscape lighting is light pollution it's there's no security element to it there is um you know, there's a, perhaps a celebratory element to it. And so for me, the only way that it can be compliant is if it is on some kind of timer and off by a certain time. Am I, am I correct in assuming that? Or is there a way to create uplight that's dark sky compliant?
0: Well, I'd say, I mean, it's there's definitely more to it than just putting on a timer because that was the case. If it was just about controls, it would be, you know, we wouldn't think twice about it. We just, there but there's also, I mean, in terms of looking at the fixtures, and also a lot of it's not the fixtures are in you know, <clears throat> pictures lighting should serve a purpose, right? That's part of the mm-hmm. dark sky and the dark sky uh associated. The five as well. principles of
1: responsible outdoor lighting, yes. Exactly.
0: Purpose. Right. So the light should serve a purpose, which can be aesthetic, um, as long as it's controlled, right? You want as many of the lumens or the watts that are leaving the light to be actually projected onto whatever the object is that you're lighting, whether it's a pillar on the home or it's maybe some ornamental tree. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, there's an emphasis on shielded lighting, right? So path lighting, uh, hardscape lighting that has like full cutoff deck lighting, which honestly, aesthetically, even before I sort of got involved in the dark side community was where my mind always went away. Um, You know, I always liked the idea of sort of pools of light, just create your areas Mm -hmm. um, that people move through. And it does, I know that uh, in terms of security, it has limited effect, although it does have effect in terms of, People feeling safe, which people feeling safe in their homes, outside their homes is valid. Um, but it does have effect in terms of safety, right? You know, walkways, transition areas, mm-hmm. if you're moving from a paved area to a grass area. But I think it's undeniable that adding lighting for those trip hazards and stuff like that. Sure. I and mean, that's something that people ask about too. You know, oh, I forgot to take out the trash and, you know, it starts. And stuff, which is usually an add on. I don't do a lot of like trash can lighting. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, if I'm doing someone's backyard, oh, you know, when we let the dogs out at night, you know, I need to be able to see, see where I'm going. So we had to be there as well. Um, but for me, you know, and the approach uh, in terms of the relationship with light pollution and creating designs that minimize the light pollution. And that's part of it too, that it's, you know, if they don't hire me, who's gonna to come to it with a sensitive approach to light pollution, they're gonna hire somebody else who is gonna go down the road saying no to it, all right, it's all about being, saying yes to it responsibly, right? So, okay, So you want lighting, that's valid and fine, and that's what I do, that's why you call Mm -hmm. me, Um, Mm -hmm. but part of my job is to make sure then that it's done responsibly, and a lot of times, I don't even sell them on the idea of dark sky compliance or light pollution because it it can be a tough nut to swallow for clients, so the answer is you just go and do it yourself, right? They say, hey, I want lighting, and I say, great, you know, I'm going to up a design for you that reduces glare I'll make sure that the light is only shining on what it, what you want to light you really focus on your beautiful plantings and your beautiful architecture you know we'll make sure that it's not annoying your neighbors you know, also have special you know full cutoff off fixtures with adjustable glare shields um you know and we'll make sure that it's not visually confusing there's all a nice warm color temperature and it goes on and off it's only on when you need it and people love it and like right there you put together a dark sky Friendly, I should say, package, um, and the client doesn't even know it. <laughs> hmm. So the idea is you don't give them a choice, right? If you a lot of clients, if you come in and you, right off the bat, you say, "All right, like light pollution is bad, you know, we're gonna this is what we're gonna." It's do not later. a good
1: sale. It's not a good sale strategy yet. Um, right. I co- <laughs> exactly. I, I couldn't agree with you more. So um, I'm the host of the Restoring Darkness podcast, and we don't we I don't do a lot of landscape lighting. So that's more Mm -hmm. of, you know, that, you know, as you can see the progression of your career is leading towards that, right? Towards that aesthetic value of light, how to create focus on things and all that. I'm more into the industrial commercial space. Very difficult to sell people less light. It's almost impossible. Um, I I mean, when I say almost impossible, I mean, almost impossible. Like you have to have the client has to call in looking for that. If you go to a client Mm -hmm. and say, yeah, we're going to, you're going to change the lights on the back of your factory. And uh, we're going to put shields in and we're going to warm it up to the color of HPS. And but hang on a sec. Why, 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 why am I doing this? Well, there's also a rebate and you're going to save energy, but no, no, no. We want to project that light back further. Um, we want to have more sky. Like basically what clients say to me is we want more sky glow, more light pollution. That if you, yeah. you know, it, it, that's what they want. That's what the deliverable is for them. And so I think mm-hmm. we're a ways away from that I think the I, my in my opinion the only way to conquer the commercial industrial light pollution is through regulation people are not going to yeah. choose this voluntarily they're just not going to do it
0: absolutely I mean also it's, you have to go around and convince every single not even every single contractor every single customer that they want this versus you know one government or you know whether it's at the municipal county state you know whatever level that regulation yeah you know, sort of takes care of it and then you know it takes that decision out of every single designer and every single contractor and every single electrician and every single customer all have to get on board with it.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, just uh just as an aside right now in the middle of the show, I've never done this before. I'm going to do it right now. That's why we started the Lighting and Darkness Foundation, folks. It started by people on the front lines of the lighting industry. And we started the foundation because it, we find it extremely difficult to sell this and uh, almost impossible actually when you're selling to contractors and commercial properties. And so if you want to help us in our work, just go to restoringdarkness.com and click the Donate Now button. That's right. We're a 501c3. You're going to get a charitable receipt. We're going to create education. We're going to do advocacy on the ground and support. And we're going to teach people all over North America to be certified. We're going to call it Darkness Specialist 1. And then we're going to do 2 and 3. So just go to the restoringdarkness.com website. Click Donate. That's right. We're going to make this thing happen. And we're going to start by training the lighting industry. Dan, um... Back into the uh, dealing with the clients again. So you you're creating, and I, I actually love I, I I you corrected me there. I'm when I'm thinking of landscape lighting, I'm thinking of these ground mounted fixtures shining up on everything right around the garden or around the house. But I forgot about the step lighting and the bollards and all of that wonderful equipment is much better for light pollution if we're lighting from a low area. And spreading the light out horizontally, so if the optics are set so that the light is is set down and to spread across a surface, first of all, it looks way better, Dan. <laughs> and second of all, agree, it's, Yeah, it's the best. It's you know the best lighting to to reduce sky glow and and um, it just looks amazing. Tell me a little bit more how you incorporate that into your stairwell lights and your pathway lighting.
0: So the key thing, you know, I mean. Manufacturers tend to lump, uh, they call it pathway and area. They lump together. But you'll see sort of two types of fixtures, right? One is, or I would say they sort of fall, fall into, you know, like different shapes. So it's fall into One is the sort of uh, what we think of as traditional path lighting. It's, you know, the stem with like a conical hat over it um, that projects light down a circle around. Um, you know, and there's spare hats, whatever. All um, right. Then on top of that, there's more directional ones. Will be almost like a little mini spotlight top on top of the post, right? So it comes up and there's an L and there's a little tiny spotlight that shines down. Which those I like for especially stairs, pathways, uh, where you're not really interested in lighting what's around, right? The comical ones which give you the circle of light are nice if you have tiny things around it that you want to highlight as well. Sometimes you put it in the middle of a garden because so it has some of the, the lower lying ground cover lit. Um it's, it's less of a functional. Pathlight, light, or it can, be, it can be used for more than just a directional path light. Uh, also, common is marker lights, which are a flush mounted light, which project a very thin beam of light that basically just grazes across the surface. Love that. Uh, which those are, but yeah, those are useful, especially for, you know, if you want to do a pathway where there isn't something to light, for or a lot of times it's really, they get used if you're doing a pathway through grass, uh, because everyone in landscape industry knows path lights like magnets along lawnmowers. and you put hmm. path lights up and then your landscaper comes through and you know you're replacing path lights up once a month uh the marker lights are lower to the ground. challenge uh and they they create a visual path right so they don't they give less light to the general area but if you're looking from the back of your house down to say a dock right you can see the markers of light that guide you to where you
1: I think a good word for that is wayfinding. Like, if we were to incorporate... Mm-hmm. So, one of the things that I um, that I find in the lighting industry is, like, the term... And, you know, love the Dark Sky International. I love what they do. I love the Dark Sky Preserves and all sorts of stuff. But when we were when on our committees, we found the term dark sky difficult to understand. Because we actually uh, want a bright yeah. size filled with stars. Yeah. Um, And dark sky has a connotation of negativity to it. So, we like to use the word restoring darkness, preserving night, and creating wayfinding solutions that are not necessarily electrical, right? Sometimes you can use bioluminescent materials, you know, they use them on planes and all that sort of stuff. You can also use these types of different kinds of lights that are sunk into the ground that are very, very, very low lumens, but they show you the way. Um, mm-hmm. We want to incorporate these kinds of terms into lighting industry so that we have um, darkness practitioners as well as lighting practitioners, so people are starting with the idea of preserving darkness and are preserving night and, and incorporated into their design or at, at the base level of the thought process. The problem I see right now, it's not that the lighting industry doesn't want to do that, it's that the customers aren't ready for it, Dan. They don't think it's... Absolutely.
0: <laughs> People and and that's sort of what I was alluding to before in terms of pitching the idea of dark sky to a customer, it's it's tough it's tough for them to swallow. They have they have a solution in their mind. Uh-huh. Um so especially I mean for me as a lighting practitioner, you know, by the time they've approached me, they've basically made up their minds that they want lighting. Um so it's yeah, it can be tough to sway them to go down the different road. And it also comes down to one of the tenets of I mean, design or really any sales, whether you're selling lights or cars or towels that that bath and beyond is figuring out what it is the customer wants, right? So, and that's part, you know, a customer might say, you know, well, I want, I want lights in my backyard. You know, I, I want to light it up. Well, why? Well, you know, as you talk to them, you learn, okay, so it's not that they want more light or it's not that, you know, it's it becomes like, well, I when I go to take out the trash, for instance, or when I walk down to my dock, it's difficult to see, or you know, my kids are playing in the playset back there. I want to be able to see them and be able to have them get back in and place and safely. Right, so you assess what the actual needs are, and then you can create solutions that are more tailored to them by making more specific design choices. You're also potentially eliminating the number of fixtures, the amount of light, put in the yard that necessary, and you're giving them a better experience. Right, you're giving them exactly what it is you want, um, while also being better for the environment and, you know, creating happier customers. So that's, and that's what, like I said before, right, it's, in, in my world, it's not about saying no to one it's about saying yes to lighting, but doing it responsibly. I hold, I hold the reins in terms of what goes in. Because ultimately, if I propose a dark sky friendly design or a, a darkness friendly design and the customer says like, absolutely not, like I want floodlights or whatever, I mean, I have the option to watch. But it's better if I can keep them in the fold and find out what they want and find out a way to do it in a way that doesn't have as many negative impacts. Like I said, if I say no, there's 150 you know electricians out yeah, there for who sure. Have a thousand watt of, you know blood light over the top of their garage and you know that's it. like it'll blind the neighbors and they'll love it because they can see their humanity, you know. And that's you know I've been seeing more of that. and I live you know, in the Hudson Valley. so I'm about an hour north of New York City. so I'm pretty well into the woods it's dark out when it's dark out and little by little, I've been seeing it start to encroach in our area uh, lights that are less friendly and you notice it, you really do notice it. And especially, uh, yeah, from an area that's started out dark, you know, when I moved up here a few years ago, if I walked my dog at night, it was, you know, I would have them have my flashlight, and, like keep my eyes out the bushes around me. And now it's getting brighter and brighter and I'll just be like, I need my flashlight anymore. Well, but also, yeah. I can't really
1: see this as much anymore. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I, we find ourselves in the same boat, just in slightly different areas of the industry. You know, it, I I often um, ask myself, you know, you know, these lesser of evils. It's better that I take the money and um, mm-hmm. and create the light pollution because these people are going to do it anyway. There's just no stopping it. Um, and at the end of the day, there's a you know, I'm not in the lighting design position. I'm a distributor. You know, I sell lighting equipment. I have these lines. The products are on the lines of of that. And so that's where one of our committees at NAILED um, stepped back and, and made the six industry strategies for darkness restoration and night preservation, which I thought were amazing. And it starts off with advocacy and awareness and then training and certification and um, incentives And enforcement, you know, all these different areas, because if you're asking the lighting industry to say no to sales, that's not, that's not, that's not going to happen. Right. It's just not going to happen. People are, people have to make a living. And so that's where we need, you know, we need regulation in it. And then we need those regulations to be enforced so that the compliers are rewarded and not squeezed. So what, what generally yeah. happens with regulation is, and this is in Ontario, and I have a lot of experience with it in Ontario, other than the Electrical Safety Authority, which does a fantastic job enforcing the regulations here, they inspect the jobs, they make sure that they're electrically good. Are they perfect? No, but every electrical contractor has the Electrical Safety Authority in the back of their head, right? I better, I got to keep it tight, otherwise I'm going to get in trouble, I'll lose my license, whatever, right? Um, with other regulations, they're just not enforced, Somebody writes it on paper and that's the end of it. And nobody sure. nobody goes around and says, Hey, you know, this light is against the lighting ordinance and you know, every day you have three weeks to take it down after or change it to, you know, something that's appropriate and until after the three weeks it's fifty dollars a day or something like that. There needs to be some sort of we need that carrot and the stick because without the without the stick you're only going to uh, squeeze the compliers and reward the non-compliers. So, mm-hmm. we, as a society, if we want to accomplish this goal of of eliminating or I wouldn't say eliminate, we'll never eliminate it, but to significantly reduce or abate light pollution, um, and for all of the great reasons to do that, we need enforcement. And then that, that's what you know. I think you and I are coming to the conclusion here there's really nothing we can do about this as lighting professionals without that you know without that call right. to action from the enforcement side and that's going to be a big job
0: yeah I mean especially the you know the questions comes to the, where does that fall at the municipal level you know and is it you know small towns which probably in some ways feel it more right like a, a rural town of 700 people like they don't have someone who's driving around it right? they, they don't want they can't pay somebody to drive around at probably spend more money on, you know, that person's salary than they'll get on tickets for, or whatever they, they, you know, depends
1: buy. how they much they charge pay. for the they tickets. Charge, yeah. Depends on how much <laughs> I they guess charge for the true. tickets. maybe.
0: Well, yeah, um, they'll, they'll pay them out of commissions, maybe.
1: <laughs> you, you know, you know, what's interesting I, on the profile of the restoring darkness podcast website, it has a, it has a bio about me. And one of the things that mm-hmm. I truly believe is that the solutions to all our problems should be revenue generating and that we should always look to generate revenue in order to solve our problems. And a lot of people don't know what I mean by that. And there's a lot of things that I mean. I mean that if if a business can, if somebody can start, if we can create an environment where a business can exist that solves that problem while paying people who pay taxes and while paying taxes to the government, it's way better than giving money to the government and having Mm -hmm. them set something up you understand what i'm saying and if we have a government then the, the the department should look that its activities be funded by fines 100 you understand what i mean and when they if they can't do that um, in an area like this, like for example, there's a huge industrial area just north of my farm which creates so much light pollution. It's uh, it's absolutely grotesque, and it's new because they just switched all the lights in that industrial park slowly over the last ten years to LED, and it's disgusting. Mm. the 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 township of Oxbridge should go find those people a thousand dollars a week for every week that they're not within the ordinances of the township of Oxbridge. Very simple.
0: And I think that's something. That's something too in terms of. Think about where this enforcement would direct this. I mean, big commercial projects like that, right? You know, a parking lot that's being built a 7-Eleven or whatever that's being built. It's already on the radar of you know, the municipalities in terms of building permits and everything else. Like it wouldn't be, I would think, you know, not local government. I would think it wouldn't be that hard to add in the layer of that permitting process to have submitting a lighting plan that's approved by somebody with some level of knowledge and then enforced, right? Not so much and you know. And what I my imagination when I was the method for was, you know, going after like, there's a house down the street from me that I had in mind. Yeah, sure. Some pretty horrible lighting. But maybe, you know, homeowners, I mean, maybe that's done by on a reporting basis. Um and also I you know, not to necessarily encourage the idea of, you know, neighbor versus neighbor feuds, but any large commercial project that's being built is already going through governments anyway. I wonder how hard it would be to add in a layer of that Uh, compliance. I'm I'm sure
1: they have it. The problem is that, yeah. Okay. I got a couple things here I'm going to hit you with. Okay. First of all, the, that sort of lighting design stuff already exists on new builds. The problem is that all of our buildings already exist. So all of the light pollution Mm -hmm. is from buildings that already exist and lights that are already there. And so this focus on new construction that's so prevalent in the lighting design community and in the regulation community, well, let's just solve it through new construction or major renovations that require the permitting process. Well, guess what? To change a 1,000-watt metal halide to a 300-watt LED in Ontario does not require a building permit. It only requires an electrical permit, right? So, and 99, well, no, 100% of all of the light pollution is on buildings that already passed the permitting process right so we can't go back and fix it by new construction permits or major renovation permits that's the first thing the second thing to solve your neighbor problem the first thing you don't want to get into ever neighbor versus neighbor you just want to send them an anonymous letter through the mail just write them a really kind note in the mail folks i i have said this so many times in the show and people look at me squarely. i do this all the time and it works amazing it's never failed the only time it fails is when it's not a residential neighbor when it's a commercial or industrial neighbor, they completely ignore my sure. letters. Okay, oh, they, I'm sure they, they couldn't care less. This one guy on, uh, on the road has this um, giant sign. It's an LED pixel sign. And you can see it all the way from kilometers away. You can see it on the horizon. And you know what else bothers me about it? He likes to put political messages up on his sign. And you know what? I I tend to agree with his politics, I guess, in some ways. Like, I tend to, you know, we both dislike the same prime minister quite a bit. But I, I, you know, if I didn't agree with him, I'd really hate it if people did that. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I was driving down the road and somebody had some big sign about, um, you know, political thing that you know, I didn't agree with, and I have to read that every time I go by just because it's on his stupid property. That should be totally illegal to do that. Second of all, that sign, why is it on at three o'clock in the morning? Workers want it. He has sometimes up there, please apply with it. Like as if you want anyone going by at three o'clock in the morning to apply for a job. So this type of <laughs> yeah, com- <right. laughs> this type of commercial light pollution is completely and totally unnecessary, and it's grotesque. Actually, and and the and we can solve that because those corporations have the money to pay significant fines. And if you were Oxbridge or or uh, Stovville or, you know, Paducah, Kentucky, or whatever, get out the books and look at your ordinances and go around and find people and create some revenue for the county that's going to go to great things, and tell yeah. people to yeah, change. Yeah, do a once lights. yearly
0: checkup. You know, go around and check on everybody, and yeah,
1: yeah, just drive yeah, around. Man, and it's yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's like you said, I mean, it's, and it's like we say, commercials, the biggest, This can be the biggest vendor in like existing properties, which is, yeah, it's tougher to track down, you know, people make changes all the time. So, you know, it's compliance and it's enforcement and it's uh, continuous enforcement, right? You know, people can swap it out for whatever. And then, especially if it's, you know, a fixture or a bowl, or whatever, you know, people can, people can play games that way. But, you know, in terms of what you're saying too about the signs. you know, the signs. it's like uh you know, it's like someone shouting in a room. It doesn't matter yeah. if you like what they're saying. Somebody shouting in your ear is going to get on your nerves regardless No matter Yeah, what. I, I, I
1: don't care if you agree with me or not. I don't really care to hear your opinions, bud. I'm not interested in your, you know, uh, your political opinions that you're putting out on the on the road. It should be completely illegal. But anyway, that's separate from the light pollution piece, which is even worse. <laughs> yeah. The light pollution yeah. piece. And, you know, I happen to agree with the guy and his opinions or whatever every now and then. I'm like, okay, good point. But turn off the damn sign and nobody cares what you think about the prime minister or the yeah. premier of Ontario or the mayor of Uxbridge for that matter. Um, you know, so I, 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 the, the other side of it is that this hopelessness of regulations. Um, and and in talking to you and the feeling I get and the feeling I get from everybody is like, yeah, right. Nobody's ever going to do that. Right? That's, that's kind of your... You know, when you're talking about it, it's like, yeah, that would be a great idea, but fat chance, pal. They are never going to do it. I actually think we can change that, you know. I think that, I think that the townships and the municipalities should look at people's outdoor lighting at night. And they should have a set of fines based on the square footage of your house. So, and I would say that probably the most of the offenders with lots of outdoor lighting are probably wealthy people and uh you know you can send them a letter in the mail from the township saying hey um you got one week or three weeks or six weeks to solve your light pollution problem and if you don't we're going to check on it and it's gonna and you can appeal to this person here and this is the appeal process this is what this is what townships and municipalities are in the business of sure. doing
0: I, and i would say i mean it has it would have to be something that uh you know before we write tickets to all, <laughs> so we, it would have to be. It would have to fall in with within within certain bounds, right? I mean, and that's where it comes into you know, the ideas of like trespass and clutter and, and responsibly designed lighting, right? Lighting that's responsibly designed isn't obtrusive, right? And it's not an eye store. And again, under certain lumens, you know, per acreage or whatever, it's not necessarily even uh, particularly contributing to eye and light pollution in that regard. So I think it's you know it has to be designed within. Uh, within parameters that could be set by, I, I don't know whether it would be set. I mean, it would be, be challenging as a as a designer and practitioner, it would be challenging for it to be set by the municipality because then, you know, I do a house and I go three blocks over to do somebody else's house and different, different on the state level or if it's created by, you know, AOLP, or at the Association of Outdoor Lighting Professionals or any of the other industry organizations that are adopted by municipalities. Um, Right, so I I don't think that the goal is getting rid of landscape lighting. No way. Because then I'll be looking for a job. This is a <laughs> but, see, this know, is but it, but it's about managing it, right? It's it's the yes but responsibility.
1: But here but here's uh, this is where more. this is the tentativeness that I can feel it in you again. What most people in the lighting industry don't understand, Dan, is that if we started doing this, as long as we're ready for it. So Nailed's getting ready. The Lighting and Darkness Foundation's getting ready to help out. If we did this, this would be a bonanza for you, Dan. It would be the greatest thing that ever happened. In that, Because people, if you just said, no, it's not that you can't have outdoor lighting. You just have to operate between these smart rules. And the people that are trained on that would get all the wins. They would get all the money from it. And this is where we get rid of Johnny come lately in the lighting marauders. We get rid of the lack of, you know, the, um, uh, we get, we introduce expertise into the sales process. We introduce certification into the sales process and we work. We're happy. We're, we're, it's not that electricians aren't against the electrical safety authority. They love it because it keeps the riffraff out of the business. Keeps the costs, you know, professionals. It it prevents the erosion of expertise, and I think that we could, if we, as an industry, got together and started making, you know, uh, active uh, advocacy towards municipalities, we could set up a system that totally inured to our benefit financially, while solving the while restoring darkness to our light polluted environments and preserving night where it exists. I mean, I think you're looking at it the wrong way.
0: I I think that I think that the landscape lighting industry, especially, is unique to that versus the commercial lighting industry. I think that you know one of the things that we sort of joke about is our our biggest competition is the homeowner itself. There's really there's nothing stopping a homeowner from going to a big box store or Amazon and buying a kit of you know you know seventy five lights or a fraction of a light. Um, so if we, the more, if you start introducing hurdles to the installation of, especially landscape lighting, um, is where, you know, it would impact my industry. Right. I think that part of it, though, it would be written into the regulations that, you know, whether it's based on voltage, right, whether it's low voltage systems are exempt or in terms of total lumens per, you know, there have to be controls written into it so that you know, again, otherwise, a lot of homeowners will just say, well, I just won't bother, right? But like, you know, we do a lot of, everyone in the industry does a lot of small jobs. So right? we all have our handful of big multi-thousand dollar jobs. But a lot of us are bigger. Our bread and butter is the smaller, you know, three grand, four grand, you know, handful of lights here and there projects. I love those projects.
1: Are those are my favorite. Yeah. I,
0: I, you know, I, part of the reason I love small projects is that it's usually, if it's a small project, it's if it's a small project for me, it means that it's a big project for the homeowner. Sure, it is. Right? So. A homeowner that can write a check for thirty thousand dollars for landscape lighting isn't thinking twice about it. A project that writes a, a homeowner that writes a three thousand dollars check—that's probably a bigger chunk of money for them proportionally, and they're going to mm. love it, it easy But if they know that there's a risk that they could get a fine for it, they might just scrap the project up. All right, Right, so that's why I think that.
1: So, well, here's what I'm telling you. These regulations are coming whether you like it or not. They may come in five years or 10 years, but there's so much action on this issue. The amount of. We, uh, we have a program here that tracks the, um, every single English language article or research project or anything in the world that's put out onto the internet about this issue. And the news is just going like this. Mm-hmm. Almost a straight line of how fast the, the amount of information about this issue is coming out. My opinion is that we should grab the bull by the horns. Whether it's the lighting distributors or the, um, the Association of Outdoor Lighting Professionals, we need to come together now and tell the regulators that this is how you should regulate this. This is how it should be done for landscape lighting. This is how it should be done for outdoor commercial lighting. This is how it should be done for factory lighting. And we're all trained up and ready to go with our darkness specialists. No, I think one. you're hundred
0: percent. Yeah. Correct on that. That, you know, it is <laughs> like you said, if these regulations are coming, it needs to be the landscape or the rather the lighting industry that drives them. Because You know, if we don't regulate ourselves, someone's going to come in and regulate us, you know, and it'll be written by bureaucrats and lobbyists who you know really just want to write the best sounding bill that will get you know, approved by voters it's
1: already happened like in the light It already happened and to the lighting industry engaged. once it already happened once um then with the um when it came to lighting equipment um a credation agency stepped in okay and a lot of people mm-hmm. don't like it when i say this okay they don't like it but they pushed all of the lighting professionals aside and the lighting industry was squabbling about how to do LED right and the transition from legacy technology to LED and sustainability and standardization and all the things, the processes that go on. And because they were so um, uh, like that nobody knew what to do, that was that had, you know, I've been in the lighting industry for 25 years personally. And I didn't know what to do at that time. And I, you know, storied companies that are hundreds of years in the business were kind of like, we're not sure about this. If this is the right way to go, or this is the right way to go. And guess what? Guess what? A um, nonprofit accreditation agency stepped in and said, "Fine, you guys can't decide. You're going to do it our way." And they mm-hmm. dic- they've been dictating to the lighting industry ever since. And yeah. Um,
0: uh, yeah. Uh,
1: so I mean, we, either we do it or it happens to us. This is the same thing. We're in the same, whether it's the LED boom, it's 2013 right now in the LED boom, and somebody's gonna step in here, and it might be an astronomer, or it might be somebody that doesn't know that much about lighting, and they're gonna step in and they're gonna tell us what's up. Or we can get our act together, Dan, and we can present to the regulators um, we can work with ordinances. We can, we can reach out to the, the bylaw officers. Let them know that the Lighting and Darkness Foundation, which is created by lighting distributors, go to the restoringdarkness.com right now. Right now. <laughs> Click the donate button, lighting people. We're on this for you guys. This is what we're going to do, the Lighting and Darkness Foundation. It's not We're not competing with anybody out there. We're lighting professionals. We want to help people on the ground that have dark sky issues, that are in battles about this sort of stuff with ordinances we want to create education we want to do research we want to do all sorts of different things so click that done why not become a monthly donor while you're at it folks that's right because we're going to take this thing down and we're going to be that's what this foundation is created to exist so that being said there's a little spiel for me dan um we're at 45 minutes can you i can't believe it's been 45 minutes can you
0: <laughs> no i'm flat We haven't flat.
1: wow yeah, sure it does. Um, do you have any final thoughts from the the, the landscape lighting? I we, You know, I'd love to have talked to you a little bit about your time as a lighting designer, but we don't have time for that now. So maybe in the future down the road. Any final yeah. thoughts out there for our listeners?
0: Uh, I mean, I think, I, you know, like I said, especially for uh, directed more towards the lighting practitioners, like you said, you know, the answer is yes, but responsibly, right? It's, it's don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? If you have the chance between Everyone doing a little bit is better than a few people doing a lot. So start thinking about it in your designs and start implementing what you can, where you can. And little by little, you know, it'll change the aesthetics, it'll change the designs, and it'll change the industry in terms of demand. Right, if people stop, if people stop specking big giant floodlights and everything and start specking shielded glare cutoff, you know, warm color temperatures, that's the way it's gonna go. And people, people want what they see and we start putting up things that are more along the lines of what we're all striving for and little by little it'll change and you know get out there and if there's you have an opportunity to help create these regulations you know do it like we said we have we have to either regulate ourselves or we're going to get it. so we need to be the driving force or else someone's going to sweep in and do it for us and then we'll you know who knows we'll be working from our back
1: well i couldn't re agree with dan jobbins anymore on that that last part except to say that um you know, you, 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 folks, this is happening. There's just so much momentum behind this issue. If you could see what I would, see right now, we already have talk in the UK Parliament a couple months ago, a whole commission. Um, the National Association of Inventive Lighting Distributors had some, some panels, and I really love what they came up with. With What Dan was, um, was talking about right there was that within your practice, try to restore darkness to our light-polluted environments. It's a call to action, restoringdarkness.com. Restoring darkness, start thinking like that. Preserving night where it exists. That's why we're trying to use this new terminology so that we can pass on to you that this is an incremental problem. We're going to solve it fixture by fixture and we're going to get better and better and better at this as time goes on. And we have all sorts of technology and controls and all sorts of things, and fantastic things that we can start to implement into our practices. So start thinking about lighting and darkness all the time. And if you have a chance, I'm going to tell you one more time, go to the restoringdarkness.com website, click that donate button, and why not become a monthly um, donor? Uh, All of Dan's, uh, he's got a Facebook. He's got a website called hudsonvalleyholidays.net. And um, I don't know if I'm going to put his email up there, but I'll put his Instagram and his Facebook up on the restoringdarkness.com website. If you want to look for Dan, you can check him out there. And for now, I'm going to bid you all adieu. Thank you for listening and bye for now.
0: Look no further for dark-sky-friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more International Dark Sky Association-certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, suggest the Omnimax with shielding or the AreaMax with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma. Illuminating the pursuit of darkness.